This is Customer Experience Leaders, a podcast produced by Rated. It's a show where we reveal the secrets of how great brands delight their customers. I can do the every channel strategy on one piece of paper. It's really quite simple. There is no such thing as channels. And the sooner we understand that as a business, the better off we will be. There are only customers. That's the voice of David Pisker. He's the National Customer Experience and E-Commerce Manager at Officeworks. I'm your host, Adam Jaffrey. And I'm Michael Momsen. Welcome, Michael. Yeah, thanks. I'm uh, looking forward to this chat. I am actually a bit of a uh, bit of an Officeworks fan. <laughs> it's funny you say that. I don't think you're the only one. And that's because Officeworks dominates Australia's $12 billion stationery and office supply sector, as well as staking its claim on technology, furniture, parcel delivery, a number of other industries. And just like you, Michael, a lot of customers love Officeworks. Mm. I think it's, you know, the, the huge range, really competitive prices and really friendly staff. And it's almost impossible to buy stationery and office supplies without interacting with this iconic brand which makes David's role incredibly important as he oversees the brand's customer experience at over 150 stores nationwide, as well as managing one of Australia's biggest e-commerce websites. We spoke to David about how Officeworks revolutionised their customer experience by giving it a seat on the leadership team. We go behind the scenes and learn how Officeworks develops innovative store concepts to delight customers And David talks about the challenges of being a large retail business, such as receiving and handling thousands of complaints per month. And we started by asking David, how does Officeworks think about delighting their customers? The way that we delight our customers is tied to our purpose. So our purpose is to help make bigger things happen. So depending on who you are as a customer, that can be really quite different. You know, you've just started a small business. It's about making the start of that business as easy and seamless and quick and as painless as possible. So that's about being able to uh, surface the right products and the services, ensure that we get whatever you've chosen to either purchase to get that to you as quickly as possible, to give you the right information, et cetera, et cetera. But for a parent, at back to school, that's a completely different experience. So that is, well, depending on what type of parent you are, could be an excursion because lots of parents do like coming into our stores to get the right tools for their children to achieve the most that they can from their education. Uh, But for others who are more organized, it could be just taking the pain out of having to clamber over a hundred different families at point of sale, et cetera. So that idea of delight, as I said, is tied back to our purpose. If I was to, from a customer experience point of view, sort of try and focus in on one attribute, I would say it's really about providing our customers confidence at every step of the process. So in terms of finding what they're looking for, understanding, being able to make a choice, whether that is you know through comparison or uh, further deeper discovery, the transaction and everything that happens beyond that or could happen beyond that. You used the word confidence, which is not something that We've heard on the show from other guests, actually, in terms of something that you think about as being able to deliver a delightful customer experience. Why did you use that word? In today's society, especially compared to certainly my generation and and generations prior, we are overwhelmed by choice. I'm not just talking about the range of products you might get in a store or the range of marketing messages 
you might hear through all the different media outlets. I'm talking about that it's available at your fingertips. You can be in a store and there can be a thousand products in front of you and then you can go online and then compare that to another thousand products and all the prices, all the different attributes. And for most people, what we found is this can be really be quite overwhelming. So what we want to do is we really want to simplify and make shopping with Officeworks or interacting with Officeworks as easy as possible. And the reason we want to do that is to give people confidence in the decisions that they make so that when they walk out of there, they feel that they've chosen the right product, the best product for them to help them make their bigger ideas happen. And how did Officeworks come up with their purpose? Because I think the whole, um, you know, Simon Sinek, why we we heard it strongly from uh, Lawrence, who's the chief customer officer at Sumo Salad, who gave a similar answer around um, having it firmly bedded in their purpose. How did you guys go on that journey of finding the purpose for Officeworks? The Officeworks journey has been a long and complex one. So Officeworks started 25 years ago, but they're a very different business today. Uh, They were acquired by West Farmers about 10 years ago, in fact, And since then, they have been on a journey. And I think the first journey was really around coming up with a a simple strategy. And that simple strategy was really around lowest price, widest range, and great service. And they've been executing that strategy ever since. Then the purpose sort of grew out of that strategy and was first really enunciated with the the concept of big ideas, low prices. So, you know, you've got the big ideas, we've got the low prices. I guess, you know, quite functional. I mean, it certainly had a lot of resonance, but still quite functional. As we went on over time, we we realized that as we began to look at what role we played in our customers' lives, therefore what products we were going to range, et cetera, et cetera, that we were always looking for how we were going to help our customers achieve what was important in their lives. And so it was that transition from big ideas, low prices to, I guess, the next, which is sort of just more of an, if you want to call it an emotional enunciation of that, which is the concept of of helping people achieve their big ideas. It's difficult to come up with a brand purpose, but I think what's also, once you've come up with it, it's really difficult to build that into the organization's culture. Mm -hmm. And I actually wanted to ask about a purpose and I mean, in your role, a CX focus, a customer experience focus, how do you imbue that throughout an entire organization? I don't think it's a customer experience role to imbue that throughout the organization. It's starting with the the executive, the Mm -hmm. senior executive, uh, to sort of lead that adoption of the purpose at a cultural level. And it, it really is a challenge. I think we've done a good job of making our organization aware of what our purpose is there's another step in getting people to believe and buy into it. And and, and those are two very different things. I can give some examples of what we have done. The first thing, of course, is the executive or what we call the office works leadership team or OLT here, you know, need to talk it and walk it every day. We hold ourselves accountable to sort of ensuring that through all of our communications, that all of our communications are communicated with that purpose in mind. Then uh, we set up a bunch of different forums to sort of enable our teams to be able to do the same thing. So we have a very active Yammer base. Uh, We've got groups on there called the Big Ideas Group, et cetera, which is really around being able to elicit those ideas from our 7,000 strong team members in stores and our call centers and warehouses and in this support office, you know, ideas that are going to help us as a business achieve our big ideas. 
the communities we work within achieve their big ideas, our customers, our suppliers, and our shareholders. There are many different other forums, but that, that's probably the probably the best one that I can think of because you know we get tens, if not hundreds, of inputs into that on a weekly basis. Yeah, and I might also just point out uh, Yammer, which you mentioned there, is kind of like an internal um, communication tool, like a corporate uh, social network. So, kind of like Facebook Workplace or Slack, Yammer is another one of those. So, you mentioned that customer experience needs to be led from the executive level, not just from the head of the customer experience department. So, it's not just your job, it's, it's the role of the entire executive to... Support that, right? I would agree that you need executive buy-in to achieve a positive customer experience outcomes. I think the point I was making before was that you need to lead a cultural change or cultural adoption is where you need a leadership from the executive. But to answer your question around customer experience, I've been very lucky in terms of literally from day one uh, being part of the executive. So customer experience has had a seat at the table. Yeah. And uh, without that, we would have been far more ch- uh, challenged to achieve what we've done in the the past uh, four years. Are there any examples of um, that you can give us that demonstrate why that seat at the table at the executive matters so much? What's maybe a, an initiative that you were trying to develop that would have maybe otherwise failed if it hadn't been for the fact that it was supported by the broader leadership team? The really important reason to have customer experience within your executive is corporate brands, at least in Australia, have and some still are uh, moving into the age of the customer. So a lot of the conversations when I first joined uh, was really around getting operational outcomes, commercial outcomes. And these are all really important things, especially commercial outcomes. You know, we're a public company. We're here to deliver value to our shareholders. By having customer experience at the table, you get buy-in that the value of our business comes from the customers that we engage in and the experiences that we give them rather than the products that we sell. And for a retailer, that's a difficult thing to grasp and a really fundamental thing to do. I'll, I'll give an example of how that has come to life. At our last roadshow, our head of supply chain, Uh, was talking about some of the initiatives that they're rolling out uh, over the next uh, 12 months. You can imagine that supply chains really are around picking things, putting them in boxes, getting them onto, uh, you know, um, trucks and moving them around Australia. Uh, So, you know, supply chains usually are really around being able to do that in the most cost-efficient fashion. The general manager for supply chain, his whole speech was around being able to do things faster, quicker, and better for our customers. And there aren't too many retailers or heads of supply chain that I can think of, uh, certainly half a dozen years ago, who, who would use language like that. And so so that's, that's a reflection of, um, of the power of having customer experience within that executive group. So I wanted to ask about innovation, but maybe like not just innovation in a digital sense. There's also some really interesting innovations that Officeworks has implemented in-store in a physical sense. And one that I wanted to touch on is the pen stand. Mm -hmm. So, I'm not sure if it's all Officeworks stores or most Officeworks stores at least. You can go in and and there's a a pen stand with, you know, basically pens that you can buy a la carte um, and you can take the top off and you can actually write on a bit of paper and test them out. And there's, you know, every color, every variety, every thickness, every brand, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. I apologize on the behalf of my children. (laughs) (laughs) I think they've... 
all the all the pinks and purples run out. Uh, <laughs> uh, get <laughs> them back it. in. They love that pen stand. What sort of an impact has that had with customers? What sort of a reaction have you seen to the pen stand? Uh, look, it's it's uh, it had a uh, exceptionally good impact with our customers. Our, our customers love it because they're voting with their wallets. Mm-hmm. You know, at the end of the day, uh, in retail, what you're what you're trying to do when we talk about innovations, you're trying to fulfill a customer need or want that is going to drive you more sales and revenue. Uh, and the pen stand is is one of those great examples. We market leader prior to the pen stand uh, by a country mile uh, in terms of writing instruments, but we definitely saw that there was an opportunity to innovate by giving more experience to our customers in stores, and you know that's proven to be a dividend. So you know that category continues to grow for us. It's informed other parts of innovation within our business from a marketing perspective. Uh, we've really got behind a, um, a sort of a campaign for it's time to write where we partnered with some university which looked at the benefits of writing. And, you know, and that's uh, you know, formed a part of our marketing calendar, et cetera, to sort of just engage people in the healthy benefits of being able to put pen to paper. Where did the idea of the pen stand come from? And also, like, how do you think about new ideas for other delightful initiatives for customers in store? One of the um, things that's important to understand, I guess, is there's no such thing as an original idea. And what we do is we spend, I won't say a lot, but we make an effort to understand what's going on in the world around us, both here locally, but also overseas. So a lot of what you see in our stores are potentially uh, adaptations of innovations that we've seen in other markets and also potentially in, in other categories or industries. And the Pen stand, although not directly lifted, is is inspired by things that we've seen in the US and uh, particularly in Japan. But but again, the the core thing there is looking at the sort of the customer need for being able to find a pen that suits their personality uh, more than being able to look at a pack of pens. And can you describe that journey in terms of looking for that inspiration? Is it field trips abroad? Are there people that are designated that role how do you sort of practically do that well we we do uh in terms of that we do lead what we call study tours where we'll take different cross sections of of our business overseas but it's a hard four or five days spent in a foreign country literally visiting stores from eight o'clock in the morning through to nine o'clock at night also bringing back the insights you get from that and it's not necessarily you know what works it's also sort of learning from what doesn't work so I'll, I'll give an example from my very first study tour. Just before my very first study tour, I'd pretty much almost convinced the executive to invest some money in uh, self-serve kiosks. We had PCs in stores, and I wanted to invest some money in in making them uh, a better experience. We went overseas, and what I noticed uh, over a five-day period was those retailers in America which chose to create a self-service experience those machines were collecting dust and cobwebs and they would be moved to the back of the store. Clearly, uh, they weren't getting very much value out of that. Those retailers where that device, if you want to call it that, was being used, they weren't being used as self-service. They were being used as assisted sales. So listening, again, using your eyes and your ears, listening to customers, how they interacted inside a store. It was They'd go up to a, a store associate, as they call it in, in, in America, and they'd be looking for a product 
and a store associate would say, oh, look, we don't actually have that here. But if you come over here, I can order that and get that delivered to you tomorrow. Would that be useful? So I took that insight back, thought about it a little bit more, and the penny drop was I suddenly realized that no one wants to get into a car, drive for a couple of kilometers, park, walk in, and then get onto basically a machine that exists at home and in their pocket to make an order. Right. So at that point, I went time out. Uh, I've made a mistake. It's not the wrong thing to do. It's just the role and the purpose is different. So that's an example of how a study tour sort of informs how we operate as a business. Really interesting. So so just on the self-serve kiosks concept, are you kind of saying that Officeworks is kind of jumping the fad, right? Because, you know, we see in supermarkets, self-serve kiosks are, well, I'd say quite popular. Mm. Or self-serve checkouts or self-serve well, yeah, I'm talking checkouts, right? So, but maybe there's a, a distinction or a classification we need to make here. Yes, yes. So, so what we mean by a self-serve kiosk is when you walk into our stores, you have, depending on the size of the store, somewhere between seven and you know maybe fourteen, fifteen thousand SKUs, depending on the size of the store. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, we've got over forty thousand available online. So, you know, quite often you might be, you know, an understanding in every channel uh, shopper, you know, who's going online and sort of saying. Oh yeah, yeah, these are these are great products. Quite often they'll walk into a store and they'll be looking for that product, but the product isn't there because it's only online. So that kiosk, that ability to be able to help them transact, you know, is really quite important. They're going into the store because going back to this idea of confidence, it's because they wanted to touch and feel and feel confidence. So if they can't touch and feel it, well, they can look at the like products and they can speak to an expert, et cetera, et cetera. And then when they're ready to purchase that, we can then help them at a kiosk. The other reason why they might want to use a kiosk is if we're out of stock. That happens with every retailer. No matter how hard we try, we're always going to be out of stock. So you came into the store, you don't necessarily want to come back or visit another store five kilometers down the road so we can help fulfill that. And would most of those be staff assisted or? Nearly all of them staff assisted. The next interesting thing from the insight there is when we realized that this was about staff assisted sale, the idea of making people go to a checkout was the next opportunity. So what we've done is we've made our checkouts mobile. So we're not interested in self-service checkouts like uh, Coles and Woolies. Why not? It's got to do with basket size. Because I I love the self-service checkouts at Coles and Woolies. In fact, I despise going and talking to somebody at Coles and Woolworths. (laughs) Yes, yeah. Look, look, likewise. Uh, So how is Officeworks thinking about it differently? Okay, the reason that we're thinking about it differently is they're doing it because they want to save money. Mm. Because if you think about the throughput uh, that they have at the front of their store, that's a way of being able to actually save heads. If you think about our stores, where we probably we have a lot less transactions, we have a lot more in the basket, although there is a lot of commodity, there's still a, a lot of higher level engagement purchases. Therefore, if we went to self-service, we certainly wouldn't save any money. And the second thing is we want to invest in service to our customers. We want to ensure that they're getting, as I said, the right the right products for them to help achieve their big ideas. So the front of the store, which is you know, point of sale, has a couple of terminals. What we thought we could do is we could provide better service by enabling our team members to have that point of sale available on an iPad so that when uh, I'm talking to a customer, not only can I talk about the products on the shelf, but I can also help them get more information about them. I can help them compare against other products. I can do everything that you can do on the website. But as the Officeworks team member, I'm the source of that 
great experience. And then uh, because going to the front of the store to queue up is a pain in the ass, I can also complete that transaction there, there and then. That's, again, the thinking. It's really sort of thinking through what are the behaviours today, how do we think the behaviours are going to develop over time, and being able to plan for that. Welcome to the Quickfire Round, where we ask questions and you have 10 seconds to respond. So it's a bit of a quickfire question and answer, and Michael and I will trade blows. Mm-hmm. Are you ready? I certainly am. Your time starts at the end of the first question. What's the best advice you've ever received? I've got 10 seconds. Don't take yourself seriously. I like and it. that was well answered with a nice laugh as well, so that's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> what skill are you terrible at? Singing. <laughs> oh, we won't get any we won't get any of those samples today. <laughs> what book has changed your life and why? I'm going to go with uh, Tim Winton's Breathe because it helps me understand midlife. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, what's your guilty pleasure? There is no such thing as a guilty pleasure. <laughs> it's either pleasurable or it's not pleasurable. Oh, that's good. <laughs> Actually, that's a good point. What's your favourite podcast? Uh, Sombrero Fallout by Ian Afforth. Oh, can I just ask a little bit of a follow-up? We don't always do this, but what's it about? It's about uh, alternate post-punk music with interesting themes. Mm. Sounds dorky, but it's really quite good. Awesome. If you didn't have to sleep, what would you do with all that extra time? I've got no friggin' idea. I like sleep too much to not sleep. Mm. Yeah, I think that's fair. What job role did you learn the most in? Uh, My very first, a graphic designer at McKinsey & Company. What brand or brands do you look up to? You know, in terms of clothing brands, it's brands like the Couples and Zadig Voltaire. In terms of brands that I admire from an intellectual point of view, Apple, Amazon, Google, Scott Galloway. Awesome. And what's your number one resource for learning amazing new things? Observing people. Mmm, I like that. That's good. And how do you do that? (laughs) Try not to talk and use my eyes and my ears. Love it. So I want to switch gears and talk about what happens when things don't go well. I understand you probably get hundreds, maybe thousands of bits of feedback on a regular basis. And then what do you do with that and what happens when things aren't going well? Uh, so we have a number of different listening posts, listening posts after purchase in store, you know, after you've completed a transaction with us over the phone, online at different points in a number of those different journeys, deliveries, et cetera. So we've got a good spread. We probably get somewhere around 1,000 to 1,500 bits of feedback on a weekly basis. You know, like uh, any good retailer uh, or any good, it's actually got nothing to do with being a retailer, any good brand, you're focusing on the things that don't work. We have a team which has just been enlarged. Uh, it used to be half a person. I think it's now up to two who are, are literally looking over that data, ensuring that that feedback gets to the right people. So every store owns their feedback. The online team or the e-commerce team, they own their feedback. So the first thing is we get in touch with those customers who've had a bad experience, who've opted in for us to get in contact. We're obviously doing that for two reasons. One, an element is around customer care, but the other element is to actually get down to the core of the issue and to try and address that issue. 
And we're getting better and better at getting people to own that and actually deliver. And look, customers are wonderful. The core thing here is we do have a loved brand, which means customers are willing to take the time to tell you everything from the very small, like as in you've got a typo, to the very large, as in, you know, you completely screwed me up because I ordered this desk and this chair. You delivered the desk. You didn't deliver the chair. Then you ran out of stock and then it got discontinued and I had to find all of this out by myself and I freaking hate you. So getting that type of feedback allows us to actually pick that apart, to think of the three or four different drivers that drives that bad experience and really actually begin to address that. Now, we're at that point where we get the information we understand the information, we distribute it to the people who can do it. We're pretty good at at getting people to understand that's really important to action, but we're not that great at closing the loop. I don't think there could be anything we could do better for it. Well, actually, there's a lot of things we could do, but I think a really positive thing we can do for a brand is to be able to call someone up two months after they've given us a bit of feedback to say, thank you very much. You gave us this feedback. We've changed X and yeah. Y in the way right. that we work. We'd love you to go and try that again. That would be amazing. Yes, it would be. And hopefully we, we will do that in the not too distant future. Yeah, wow. There's obviously a huge volume of feedback that you're always receiving. All of those little tactical things that you were just talking through are great in isolation, but I just wanted to ask, like, how do you manage the brunt of all of it happening all the time, 24-7, people complaining? Like, It's about distributing the pain. <laughs> yeah, sure. But then if you do that, like you, you, you go, all right, well, the e-commerce team deals with their feedback and the Northcote store deals with theirs and the Sydney store deals with theirs. There needs to be a way to bring that back up the chain because the store itself can't solve every problem, right? I think you're right. So we have a number of different forums and uh, Yammer is an exceptionally good forum for us to use to be able to help stores escalate different components or different problems that they can't solve. But the first component is, I guess, if you want to call it giving stores the right incentives to address NPS feedback, which by the way, we actually call the great service score. And that's just because we wanted to call it something besides NPS. Mm -hmm. What we've been able to demonstrate to stores is a direct correlation between how well they score in their great service score and the sales and the EBIT that they drive through their stores. So there's nothing more more motivating to a store manager and his team, especially at the senior level, than to be able to drive more sales and a healthier EBIT. That's the first part. But then there's the second part, which is to your point, and this is still part of the journey, is how do we in an efficient way ensure that we can tie everything back up? And that really is looking at uh, the sort of systems that are available out there that help you do that. So we recently invested in a software package called Luminoso, uh, which is uh, basically a piece of machine learning that we basically put over our um, – customer feedback, and it begins to draw out what some of the underlying themes and issues are without having to have a human being spending days, if not weeks, pouring over that data to come to that. That's one component of it. Second component of it is being able to find platforms that can actually help operationalize that in terms of being able to suck in the data, allocate it to the right person, escalate it when it isn't being actioned, close it when it is, ensure customers uh, you know, are communicated with both in a timely manner uh, around the instance of the issue as well as the solution. We haven't done that yet. 
there are lots of retailers in America that have done that. I don't know any that have done a really great job here in Australia. There's definitely ones who have done a much better job than us. So, David, I was interested in getting your thoughts on all things e-commerce. It's almost impossible to not have a conversation without talking about the giant elephant's shadow in the room being Amazon having recently launched into Australia and just wanted to understand how you're thinking about e-commerce and then how you're thinking about, like you say, playing to your strengths. Mm -hmm. There's obviously a lot of things that you can do that are playing to your strengths. It'd just be good to get your overarching thoughts on all things e-commerce. On all things e-commerce. Okay, uh, look, so I've I've been speaking about customer experiences and maybe a good way of talking about e-commerce is contrasting the two. If you think about it, my customer experience team, if I was to try and boil it down to the three things they do, they help to define uh, an experience, design the experience, and then help execute that experience, working with a very you know cross-functional team. On the other hand, the e-commerce team, they're very much around what I would call generating natural attraction. So, you know, allowing people to find us online. They're very much around uh, the curation of our offering, so our products and services. And then the final component there is really around optimization. So optimization of those two prior components to deliver a commercial result, both from a sales revenue point of view as, as well as from an EBIT point of view. So their focus, and again, you know, if you think about the metrics that they've got to do is look at, they're looking at visitation from natural traffic and they need to optimize that. The other two components they're looking at is they're looking at conversion and then they're also looking at the average order value. That's how we think about e-commerce or look at e-commerce in the simplest form. Now, of course, underneath each of those, there is an absolute myriad of things that they need to look at and concentrate on, you know, in terms of recommendations, cross-sell, in terms of all the brand pages we create for SEO, and the list goes on and on and on. But, but those are individual tasks. So what we've done is by taking that approach of focusing on those three things and the, some simple metrics behind it, uh, we've been able to grow our e-commerce base to probably, you know, it's it's not the largest e-commerce website because there are a, a many bigger brands like Coles and Woolworths in the marketplace. But as a percent of sales, we probably have the highest penetration as a traditional retailer in Australia. What are some things that come to mind that you think you did well in that transition? Because if you think of someone who starts their business online um they sort of almost have an unfair advantage of not having legacy not having legacy culture yeah. a whole range of things a couple of things um and a lot of them have nothing to do with what the e-commerce team do or what we do in e-commerce today interesting it's got to do with uh the right things from a corporate structure point of view and a, a cultural point of view so i'll give a couple of examples sales is a key uh, as i'm going to take the bleedingly obvious uh, is a major kpi for everyone in the business <laughs> Uh, and how you incentivize people around those sales is really important. So, you know, when I joined uh, four and a half odd years ago uh, and I'd go into a store and I would ask, you know, for something that was out of stock or not available in store, the person there would actually try and convince me to come back into store or try and convince me to buy it from another store. And that's because that store was incentivized on the sales that they were getting from that store. Mm. The second you change that, incentivize stores on their catchment area, then you hit a piece of gold. 
Then the second thing you do is rather than change the incentive for the e-commerce team around sales from both deliver to door and click and collect sales and sort of say, oh, no, the stores are going to own those click and collect sales, which, of course, the store manager, the online store manager, i.e. the head of the e-commerce, they're going to go, well, I've got no incentive to promote click and collect. In fact, I want to take it off the site because that goes against what is natural for me when I'm thinking about my <laughs> my KPIs and my bonus I'm going to get at the end of the year. Yeah, But you know, when you can actually say, no, no, this is a directive and what you're going to find is if we do this, you're going to grow online sales because the customers who are most valuable to us, our research shows to a value of four and a half times, is the customer who shops both in-store and online. And a click and click customer is the one who shops both in-store and online, funny enough. So you increase the quotient for that by getting 165 stores to promote the fact that you can order online and pick up in this store, you're actually going to not only grow the store sales, but consequently going to grow the online sales. I want to ask you about a recent development that you deployed to the Officeworks website. You re-infrastructured the design and, and went mobile responsive. Mm-hmm. You know That was obviously underpinned by customer experience mm-hmm. and your digital team. Uh, so, there's some cross-functional things happening there. But uh, why was that important, firstly, and what results have you seen from it? We did that a, a couple of years ago. Look, it, it was basically motivated as a legacy our mobile and our tablet, desktop, digital assets were being developed independently of each other. And that did not lead to a good customer outcome. As, as you can imagine. <laughs> yeah, as you can imagine, because, you know, like one of the things that we, part of this um, concept of being Australia's best every channel retailer is to make it completely seamless between channels. I, I remember within the first couple of months of joining, um, my boss asked me to write our every channel strategy. I said, look, the uh, I can do the every channel strategy on one piece of paper. It's really quite simple. There is no such thing as channels. And the sooner we understand that as a business, the better off we will be. There are only customers. Why do you say that? There's no such thing as channels. Because like our customers don't think in terms of channels. Mm. You know, so, so true. So, so true. I, so when, when our customers are buying a laptop and they might go and search different blogs uh, to get information and then come to our site and other sites and compare prices and check specifications and look at what's name and then they might create a shopping list and they go might go into a store and then they might do something else to the they're buying a laptop yeah they're not shopping online and they're not shopping in store and they're not shopping online and in store they're buying a laptop that's yep. what they're doing so just moving people's thinking a lot along those ways so anyway if you can't be seamless in your digital assets, what chance do you have of being seamless across physical and digital channels? So one of the first things to do was to remove that friction. Responsive was the answer to that. Uh, it also obviously enables you to use a buzzword uh, to be mobile first. Mm-hmm. When I look at our digital assets, I don't think we're quite there yet. But um, as I like to say, it's part of a journey. You know, when we looked at uh, where, how we were converting in mobile prior to responsive to now, uh, we've been able to quadruple, probably gone to quintupling our conversion off mobile. We actually, you know, the way we think about uh, the, uh, the mobile device, especially our app, is thinking of it as it's the team member in your pocket. Yeah. The really nice thing about that is what we want to do is when our customers 
are shopping in our competitor store is imagine that you had an Officeworks team member with you. <laughs> yeah. So what's the role of our app when you're shopping at JB or yeah. you know, at Kmart or Target or Harvey Norman? I mean, we, we haven't got there yet. But we'll get there in the next year or two. That's a fascinating concept. You talked about having the, the Officeworks team member in your pocket. And I want to ask you about staff. Fundamentally, the majority of Officeworks' business is still in-store with retail staff. Mm-hmm. And so, customer experience itself is largely driven by people. Mm-hmm. I wanted to ask, you know, how do you, as the head of customer experience here at Officeworks, see that? And, and how do you, I guess, like manage uh, the culture within stores? And how do you make sure team members are enthusiastic and excited and actually give a sh- to go that extra mile and give customers that amazing experience? I work very closely with the people who run stores. Coming to a retail business like Officeworks, I stand in awe at the people who run our stores and engage the 7,000 team members we have in stores. That is not an insignificant number of people to rally behind a purpose and a mission. A momentous task. Yeah. I have all admiration for the network of team members we have. So, But my role is really around some components of service design. Uh, How do we construct the experience through our team members today? It's really about trying to understand the moments that matter for our customers and really sort of focusing on that. And so that's led to a number of different initiatives like taking task out of our team members' day. So the last thing you want to do is walk into a store and sort of see a team member packing a shelf. I mean, that's really important. If, If the stock isn't there, that leads to a bad experience. So it's about understanding when we do certain tasks then it's about recognizing the moments that matter and concentrating on that and then being able to measure that and the impact of that. So, you know, we've identified a you know, number of key moments in store and we measure that and we motivate our teams to improve their performance on that. And then we show how that correlates in terms of our NPS or great service score I mentioned before. Yeah. And of course, the correlation that it has with uh, sales and EBIT. Yeah, totally. I, I mean, you talk about roles, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's always somebody that greets you at the front door. Uh, and you can ask, you know, oh, where's the paper or where's the laptops or USB sticks or whatever? And you get an immediate response. It's on this aisle or it's in this direction. And that's super helpful, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. Um, but it is taking somebody away from what they could be doing otherwise. Yeah, absolutely. And that's not the only role either. Yeah, it's, it's all about making decisions. You know, at the end of the day, you know, uh, you know, I think we're, one of the things we're good at is we're good at learning. You know, so we'll we'll try something. If it doesn't work, we'll stop it. If it does work, we'll keep doing it and then try something else that we think might improve it. Uh, you know, I mean, in terms of the things that help us, we're just beginning to treat our stores like websites in terms of having technology that can track how customers move through our stores and how long they dwell in certain areas and how will they convert and all that type of stuff. So that could then go, because it hasn't as yet, could go into help some of the decisions we make around how our team members in stores interact with customers. Outside of that, in terms of you know the customer experience, what we then do is we look at different components. You know, how do how do customers shop furniture? What are the implications for how we present that in store and how our team members support a customer wanting to buy furniture. What happens when customers are queuing for print and copy, you know, uh, and, and waiting for a job to be finished? You know, what should we do differently there to enhance that experience? So from a customer experience team point of view, we go in and 
and help to get some of those insights and drive some of those changes. But the real core thing about our experience through our team members is really that, as I said, the momentous task of being able to engage 7,000 team members yeah. to do the right thing at the right time for our customers and continue to learn. So again, you don't have a customer experience, and I keep banging on to this about my team, your customer experience team isn't there to go out and do everything. Your customer experience team is to help retailers do a better job of retailing. That's maybe a nice quote to end on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Been a real pleasure. I've really enjoyed the discussion. Yeah, thanks so much for coming on the show. Pleasure. Wow, what a fantastic show with David. Yeah, it was, uh, it was great of him to come on and, and reveal some of the, the insights behind the scenes of Officeworks. Yes, and I'm actually a bit of a secret Officeworks fan, not the type of brand that you would uh, typically admire, but I think they do a lot of the fundamentals really, really, really well. So, I really enjoyed that conversation with David. So, this is our, our debrief section where we sum up the practical takeaways. What I really loved, I'm going to read you a quote from David that I, that I noted down during the interview. He said, The value of our business comes from the customers that we engage in and the experiences we give them, rather than the products that we sell. And as a retailer, that's a very difficult thing to grasp. And really, the lesson for me there is, contrary to popular belief of many retail businesses, the value isn't in the product, the price or the supply chain. And that's generally how retail's operated for the last, you know, 50, 100 years. The value really lies in the experience. And this is a fundamental shift that we're seeing in retail. Experience is trumping all these other factors. And so, yes. um, that's something to be really aware of. I mean, that's why we created this show. That's why, you know, we're in, in this business and, and this thing that we love. But it was just a really nice and eloquent way um, that David summed it up. Yeah, agreed. I, I actually think he he used he summed all that up by saying we're now moving into the age of the customer. Yeah, um, which I thought was an excellent way of thinking about it. Absolutely. So, what was yours, Mike? The the first one that stood out for me was how he used the word confidence and how he anchored confidence as part of customer experience. And that was something that we hadn't really heard before. Mm. And as as a side note, that really came out of their purpose. And you know, that's definitely a thing that we're hearing on the show around having purpose at a, at a core of the CX. And for those that you know maybe don't have haven't put words around their purpose. You know, we often think about like missions of businesses, but really the purpose is the why that sits behind uh, that mission. And so I I really like how they had uh, brought that as a central part. And so it's not just about making it friction-free and easy, but really thinking about is this enabling the customer to be confident in their purchase decision, confident when they walk out of the store and they're happy with that purchase. So, I thought that was really, really good. Yeah. And uh, like you said, we hadn't heard that before. So, it's good to get some fresh perspectives on this purpose idea that we've heard so much about. Yeah, like I'm actually going to practically take this one away today actually and go back with the team uh, where we're sort of engineering a couple of um, onboarding processes at the moment and I'm actually going to inject uh, the word confidence in there. So, I'm going to steal that one from Officeworks. (laughs) So, the second one for me was when we were talking about innovation and David told us that there's no such thing as an original idea. You know, most of Officeworks' innovations are inspired by international markets or by other people. So, perhaps one way to try and learn from this is to get outside your own country. You know, Officeworks literally goes on these study tours internationally. If that's not in the budget, then maybe just get outside your own industry and look at, you know, what Uber or or Netflix or whoever is doing and look for CX opportunities and ways to delight customers that you can learn from other businesses and other industries. Yeah, that's really good. Which sort of ties quite nicely into this, which is uh, the other thought that I had that stood out for me was... Having an actual process to get all the ideas from the broader team um, because a good idea can come from anywhere. Yeah. Uh, they 
you know, happen to use Yammer, a particular sort of internal social media tool, but there's lots of tools out there. Um, you may actually remember Ray from our first episode actually has a business built around this, uh, which you can use called Speak Up. Speak Up. <laughs> there we go. And you can implement that and have a really easy way to capture the ideas from anyone across the team. And the final thing I wanted to highlight was uh, another really great quote from David. He said, we really want to be able to close the loop with the customer to call them back two months later and tell them we've solved their problem. And I've, you know, as a CX geek, as a CX enthusiast, I report a lot of problems to brands, not necessarily because I am, you know, an annoying customer trying to nag them, but because I can see an opportunity to fix a problem. And nobody does this. Nobody calls me back two months later and says we fixed the Mm. problem. Basically, no business today. And if you can deliver on this um, and it sounds like that's what Officeworks is striving to do. It would blow your mind. Yeah. If you can deliver on this, it shows a couple of things. Firstly, it shows that you listen to the customer. Secondly, it shows that you actually did something about it. And thirdly, you actually fix the problem, the, the root cause of the issue. And to me, you know, that's the gold standard. There is no better CX moment than that. It helps to mend broken relationships and strengthen positive ones. That's a wrap. Uh, it is. Five awesome takeaways. Should we summarize them real quick? My first one was that retailers should consider this fundamental business shift that's happening um, to, to move from product, price, and supply chain to experience. Yeah, and one that really stood out for me was embracing this thought around confidence in the customer experience. Are we giving the customer confidence to make a decision in the purchase? Are we giving them confidence when they walk out the door? I thought that was really nice. Number three was you can take inspiration from anywhere outside your business, outside your country, outside your industry. Have a way to capture that. Like have a way uh, to be able to grab all those ideas from across the team in an easy way. And finally, the fifth takeaway, that gold standard that we talked about before, actually taking customer feedback and doing something about it, fixing the issue and then letting the customer know. It goes a long way. Awesome. Well, another great show. If you uh, have any ideas for uh, future shows, we would love, love, love to hear from you. Any feedback, we're always ourselves wanting to learn, grow and improve. Catch me at any time. Uh, My email is michael at rateitapp.com. And you can email me on adam at wavelength.audio. Thanks for listening. See ya. Customer Experience Leaders is a co-production of Rate It, the market leader in on-the-spot customer feedback, and Wavelength, podcasting strategy, production, and amplification for brands. This episode was produced by Nick Jones, Christopher Lawson, and me, Adam Jaffrey, and it was edited and mixed by Josh Armour. Our theme music is by Icolix, Peter Cooley, and The Shrugs. If you liked this episode, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you like to get your shows. And why don't you tell a friend? You can share this episode by sharing a direct link, customerexperienceleaders.com slash 12. That's the number 12. And finally, if you are obsessed about customer centricity and customer experience, just like we are, but don't feel like you're getting enough customer feedback in your business, then it's worth having a chat to the team at RateIt. There's plenty more information on their website and you can book a time that suits you to speak to them. Just head to rateitapp.com. That's R-A-T-E-I-T-A-P-P.com. Thank you very much for listening. I'm your host, Adam Jaffrey. We'll speak to you next fortnight.